Oh, privacy. What will websites ask us to accept after cookies are long gone? Hi, welcome to the Quizlet Podcast. This is episode six. My name is Josh Tan, and I'm your host. I'm a digital marketing strategist for a leading performance marketing agency. I started my career in paid search, but expanded my expertise to other media channels. In my current role, I examine industry changes to ensure we continue to develop the right innovation in delivering for our clients by executing custom solutions to meet their goals. I hope you enjoy the content here. Please subscribe by hitting the follow button. If you are so inclined, please leave feedback on iTunes or Spotify. You can also be a part of the Quizit podcast by contributing through Kofi. For more information, visit my site quizitmedia.com. iPhone users, do you let apps track your data? I have a colleague who said she does, because otherwise she would feel like a hypocrite. I completely understand, but I take a slightly different approach. I use it the way I think it should be used. If a brand I like is asking, then yes, you can track my data. I want you to curate suggestions and let me know when there is something I would like is available. However, if you are an app I needed for one time only, then nah. Try again another way. Google recently hosted its privacy imperative on April 13th, which was a webinar that discussed Google's take on driving growth in a privacy-first world. They had three main discussion points. First-party data collection, measurement, and automation. Google has been very hungry for first-party data. This is data owned by advertisers because users have provided this data to them. It includes ad engagement, site behavior, conversion data, and all other data provided to companies by individual users. There's now a distinction between zero-party and first-party data, where the former is data knowingly offered to the brand. Think of forms you need to fill out in joining rewards programs. You don't always want to offer the info, but you know you are because it's a condition of joining. Measurement and automation are both things that Google has long been pushing to brands and agencies. Let's tackle automation first. I always try to analyze it from the perspective of why would Google go through the hassle of developing technology to automate bits? And it really goes back to Google being Google, wanting to make more money. Imagine there are thousands of agencies out there who inflate campaign budgets but keep bids at a level where you would not consume the budget. I can at least imagine that that's pretty standard practice. 
this allows you to never cap out of budget. Or imagine there are a lot of IOs out there that have not yet been fully consumed. Either way, Google is seeing that brands have a lot of budget that they are not spending. Of course, there's that, and then there's also Google's egotistical mindset of brands need us. But let's say there's merit to this and that there are millions of campaigns out there where bids have not been changed in a few days or so. Also, this brand that has millions of campaigns actually has the budget to spend and can actually benefit from more ads on Google. Then yeah, it actually does make sense for Google to activate on this untapped potential. Brands actually embrace this technology for a while. I should probably say agencies because there is substantial reduction in overhead when done correctly. It was hard for me to get out of the habit of checking bids daily, but I'd say it went from maybe an hour to about 15 minutes. After all, blindly letting AI make decisions for you is probably not the best idea. It wasn't long, though, before everyone realized that automation only works if it's automating what truly matters. That is, data that is driving the business. So if the technology is automating more leads, but the true goal is revenue, and a decent chunk of leads are duds, then the technology is not working. Hence, first-party data. It is what will allow Google to have insight into businesses it would otherwise not have and make its technology more sticky with advertisers. Instead of leads that may or may not result in revenue, closing the loop will drive more revenue. However, in the age of privacy, what do we do when there are gaps in data? That's what measurement is about. Google is now migrating to GA4, which is the topic of my last podcast. So it can heighten the accuracy of enhanced conversions and conversion modeling. Both are similar, so it can get pretty confusing. Enhanced conversions essentially verifies users who convert against Google's database of its own logged-in users. The benefit of this is really on Google's side. They're able to create more signals so that they can use it in bidding wherever else they need to. Theoretically, it helps with remarketing because you know these users and Google knows these users so it will prioritize them for you. I am pretty sure though, that they will offer these signals to your competitors, not to alarm anyone. Conversion modeling is about connecting dots where they should have been easily connected. If someone makes a search, clicks an ad, and then purchases a product, then the brand registers one sale. However, 
if this person clicks on an ad on a mobile device and then switches browsers for whatever reason, but does not click on another ad, then this is where modeling comes in. Google will still take credit for the conversion on the ad first clicked. Modeling is essentially Google's way of taking credit for conversions that are not easily seen, which is becoming more and more these days because of the emphasis on user privacy. For impressionable advertisers, this would result in higher conversions from Google campaigns that may or may not be accurate. So a good way to verify is by closing the loop with offline conversion data, the type of data that would ultimately lead to an invoice. Now for a little more history. Even as someone who has been immersed in digital marketing for quite a while now, I can't quite off the top of my head remember what catapulted the call for privacy over the internet. The earliest major riveting change I can remember is Safari ITP 2.0 and all its subsequent updates. For a while, Apple was becoming more stringent on third-party cookies, but it was ITP 2.1 where there started to be changes to first-party cookies. This change limited first-party cookie tracking to seven days from the two years it previously had. As you can imagine, this caused a major chill down the spine of the industry. This took effect in March 2019. A month later, ITP 2.2 took effect in April, where the seven-day window would further reduce to 24 hours. It is so like Apple to pull that move. But hey, I am benefiting from the stock price especially in this market, so I won't complain too much. GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulation, is a framework that the European Union enacted to govern the way that PAI, or personable, identifiable information, is stored by a website, which basically requires it to be anonymized. Enter UID, but more to come on that. This took effect in 2018, so a year before Apple's ITP, but didn't have as big of an impact on the industry, I don't think. What really catapulted privacy as a core issue in digital marketing was Mark Zuckerberg having to testify in Congress about practices at Facebook that allowed other parties to gain access to user data and use it to influence major elections. Now, why I don't immediately associate privacy with this event is that Facebook, now Meta, is nowhere near the issue of privacy and has lost $230 billion to the heightened implementation of privacy guardrails. 
they were actually on the other side of things, so to speak, taking out large newspaper ads against Apple's updates in iOS 14.5, which was the iOS update that put major emphasis on user privacy. This is the version where um, Apple allowed users to decide whether or not to let apps track their data. Oh, and there was the whole boycott Facebook movement. Hashtag stop hate for profit. That was about hate speech and misinformation and not exactly about user privacy, but they're very much intertwined. User privacy is about preventing the exploitation of any person's online data. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion that this movement did not have any financial impact on the company. Stock price at the beginning of July 2020 was $233, and it closed at the end of the month at $253. But it really did raise awareness for more governance across the internet. So now let's get into what this has become. If anyone remembers Zuckerberg's testimony in Congress, you'll remember that Congress was pretty clueless about how Facebook works as a business. And so this call for more privacy is really led by industry leaders in the private sector. With the deprecation of the third-party cookie, we're now seeing a divergence in the industry. Walled gardens of Google, Meta, Microsoft, and others are getting higher because they each now have their own version of how to track user activity on their platform. It isn't a smooth transition for anyone. Google first announced Flock, or Federated Learning of Cohorts, which quickly died because it didn't actually create more privacy for people. It grouped users together based on recent browser history, but that opened the potential for discrimination because Google would make assumptions about you based on the sites that you visited. Or rather, allow you to be excluded because of sites that would make it infer that you are part of a protected group. Google has since announced that topics would replace the third-party cookie in its ecosystem. I may be simplifying this or oversimplifying this, but I see it as the reverse of Flock. Instead of browser history putting you in a cohort with others who have similar browsing histories, Chrome is basically trying to understand which sites you visited recently and put you in a topic which advertisers can use for targeting. The difference is that there are already topics where users can be placed. So naturally, the groupings are larger and broader because you don't create clusters as people are browsing. I just did a Google search for Microsoft Parakeet and nothing recent came up. You know what, I'm gonna do a Bing search. Yeah, 
the same article from April 2021 came up. But what we need to know about Microsoft is that they are cooking something up on their own. Meta, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and virtually all the other social media platforms are basically encouraging Convergence API or CAPI, which is the same as Google asking for closed-loop first-party data uploads. On the other side, across programmatic buying, you have different players coming up with different things. The Trade Desk has UID 2.0 or Unified ID 2.0, which is its response to third-party cookies going away. And this is likely going to be the most prevalent solution moving forward. This is because they are the largest, generating about $1.2 billion in revenue annually. Actually, Critio may be larger by total company value, or excuse me, total company revenue, but they have, they have a lot going on in marketplaces. Media math is another one, but revenue estimates I saw was around 600 million. Regardless, the Trade Desk is certainly the front runner because it is actively investing in a solution. The way UID 2.0 works is that instead of leaving crumbs even when users are not logged in part of being logged into a website allows uid 2.0 to leave its version of cookies with the user they're calling these tokens these tokens are refreshed all the time and it passes back salted hashed data Hash is where your PII is encrypted or translated into some gibberish. And salted is when there is additional gibberish added so that it will be even harder to decrypt something that cannot be decrypted. LiveRap is also a contender for identity solution. Their product is called RampID which was rebranded from Identity Link, and their edge is being the leading CRM provider. Since they have emails and other PII from a ton of different brands, they are using this to match users. So this is actually kind of like Google having logged in users. LiveRamp has a huge database of um, emails. I'm trying to understand where consent comes in, but I guess for you to have been included in a CRM list, then you have consented to something at some point in time. Maybe that's enough. I've actually seen Ramp ID work for a client, and I remember telling my colleague that it is actually a much creepier way of matching people. Match rates were so much better that user data, user data passed back was so much higher than cookies. Now, of course, there's the response to social clamor for a more respectful internet that tech companies need to heed, but 
all these new solutions that are replacing third-party cookies are really just ways for companies to gain more control over user data. With more data providers using UID 2.0, Ramp ID, or whatever becomes the leader, the more influence these solutions have over the industry is really what tech companies are after. Okay, strategy. What are digital marketers to do? I am optimistic enough to think that behaviors we are tracking now will still be the same behaviors we will track in the future. Therefore, these will still be the ones available for targeting. After all, what we are replacing is the technology, not the usage itself. But do we just wait for things to catch up? Well, no. Do we just test UID? We'll also know. What we need to be thinking of is how do we use technology to our advantage? If Google, Meta, and others are going to be modeling conversions, how are we going to use this such that it benefits us or the bottom line of our clients? Think of Matryoshka dolls. The outermost doll is a seed list, which is the total possible users who are qualified to become a customer. This is where you should spend the most time. Anticipating demographics, online behavior, user action, and offline behavior for targeting is where you should spend the most time because we need to decide which of these correlate best with the brands we support. As an example, if your brand is one where phone calls are only for support, then you will not want to create an audience of people who are calling in. More commonly, if you are supporting a brand where the purchase cycle is long, you will want to understand which types of users will complete the entire journey. So we need to think a lot about who we are letting into our garden or ecosystem because letting the wrong people in would deteriorate our program. The middle are those who've, who we've convinced to engage with us even at a superficial level. This is where we start to collect data that we can own and use again for targeting or first party data. What we need to think of here is what is the next step that users would take to move along their journey? It begins with actions they've taken on the site, but it needs to be complemented with other data sources. If someone interacts with some tool on the site and then searches for something specific, visits 
a location or performs another action, which of these is the right next step to target further? So if someone uses a calculator page or just uses a search bar within a site, visits an actual store location, which of these would be the next step in the user journey? That is what this middle part is. Understanding which of these would be the right one for specific brands. The innermost doll are those that we have won. They are part of the circle or this sequence of Matryoshka dolls because acquiring a customer is not a one-time event. It is a favored chance to continue to do business with this user. Because we know who they are, it would be easy for us to target them again on any platform in any channel. Might not have been the best visual, but that is really how targeting kind of works. What about conversion data? Due to data loss from iOS, there's this whole education going on for advertisers to cut their expected ROAS. If you used to get a $10 ROAS, now you might just get a four and a half. This four and a half though, represents the entire 10. In a way, it's kind of like this. It's like ROAS decided to do a stock split. Intrinsic value is still there, but now a different number is represented. But instead of focusing on hitting a specific number, you should now be looking at trend of performance. What I'm trying to figure out is whether or not this is short-lived. With enhanced conversions in CAPI, are we able to get back the complete picture? I don't know that we're ready as an industry to answer this, but I am a very strong advocate for looking at trends. If you are a company or marketing for a company that is so focused on hitting a number, then you are probably not in the best shape. Conversely, if you pay attention to how things are moving, then you can strategize about what to do next. For example, if revenue is declining, even as impression share is holding steady, then you might need to find other keywords that represent other products to bid on. There's a lot of benefit to connecting your data to your engines and platforms. You're able to target accurately and have a fuller picture of results. So why not do it? There is real fear among advertisers to relinquish their data to platforms. I originally dismissed this fear because it is unlikely that these tech companies will venture into other industries. They will likely stick within the realm of advertising, except for Amazon. That's the one company that will actually figure out how to sell your product. 
Putting that aside, though, I think a valid concern is whether or not these platforms will create an unfair advantage for a brand or select brands, either knowingly or unknowingly as well. Probably the latter because the former smells like a lawsuit. Let's play this out. Imagine two brands that are selling similar products. Brand A is a healthy advertiser on any platform, and their philosophy is to spend more on advertising to increase their sales. Their goal is to maximize revenue. Brand B is different in that their goal is to maximize profit. Their spend is lower than brand A because they are cognizant of margins. How will automation treat these two brands differently? I'm grouping users into three categories. First are those who buy few but frequently, and they are the perfect customer for brand A because they spend a lot. Second is a group who buys a lot, but infrequently. Obviously, this goes to brand B. But what about new customers who don't have a track record? Where will automation send these customers? Google, Meta, etc. will all say that there are other signals that they can take advantage of to decide how to treat these customers. But as privacy falls more in the hands of the consumer, so does the size of the unknown increase. And maybe the signals that they have are not enough. So if this were the case, will these tech giants favor higher spending advertisers? After all, what they're doing is just prioritizing more valuable customers. This is something we tell we tell our clients every day. The answer is maybe. The point is they can. All right. Alternatives. This one is hard because everyone is doing the same thing. Google is not alone in enhancing conversions, measuring conversions, or modeling conversions. Literally every other provider in the industry has some sort of AI machine learning mechanism in whatever they offer. The alternative is also not avoiding any of this. If you resist change, you will be consumed by it. I think what we need to be afraid of is government intervention. There could very well be a central bank of PAI data where agencies need to go in in order to target and track users. While this sounds far-fetched, it's not impossible. Censorship is happening in some countries so regulation is certainly a possibility. But even if we don't go too nuclear, 
Cookies were created by Netscape in 1994, and it became the standard tracking mechanism. So it is equally probable that we all rally behind one solution because it is the most accessible and reliable. Kind of like barcodes. I don't want to ha- I don't want to get into how that's becoming obsolete, but the theory behind it could exist. I'm not at all advocating for this. I just think it is a concept to ponder on because it will happen in some ways. Many providers will use the Trade Desk's UID 2.0 because it is reliable and compliant. So they will have a following and maybe LiveRAM 2 and whoever else. Actually, what we might have is a credit card situation where you can choose between Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover, and JCB. It's about a little over a year away from when Chrome phases out cookies. Between now and then, we will see contenders become frontrunners and ultimately the standard. What's important is that we continuously think of ways to be in control, even in the face of machine learning and automation. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to reach out on Twitter at Quizit Media.